Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is my weekly opportunity to vent and rant and rave and cover some issues of importance, offer my opinion, and talk to interesting guests. And this week's episode is, like every other, a good one. I'm going to have a lot of transit talk today. I know we don't typically talk about that. That sounds pretty boring, but it isn't. It's important, actually. we got some mega transit programs going on across the country and uh, you're going to pay for them, even if you don't ride transit or even if you live in the country, because there's provincial and federal transfers go to these. And, and we're going to speak uh, a little later with he's Jim Gray. He's a, a Calgary Energy uh, executive, or he was, and he's with the Ad Hoc Citizens Committee to rethink the Green Line. That's a mouthful, but it's a group coming out saying, hey, we got to second think this uh, project coming in Calgary because it's pretty big and those numbers are looking pretty scary. And uh, we don't know if we need this thing. So that's going to be a, a very interesting conversation coming up. Uh, lots of news. I'll be checking in with Dave in a little while as well. And of course, uh, lots of the ranting and raving. So make sure to use, this is a live show, guys. Use that comment area. Get in there, get your questions in, send things my way. Just keep things civil, of course. Uh, we can always fight later on out on Twitter. And uh, I'm going to remind people more and more at the start and the end of the show, this is with the Western Standard. Save the Western Standard in your browser, guys, or on your apps, whatever you got to do. Sign up for the email newsletters because the social media giants are starting to cut off access to news outlets over the Liberals' Bill C-18, and you might have a hard time finding us. So the sooner you make sure you can come directly to us, the better it's important. It's important for us and, of course, for you, so you can keep getting that great content. All right, I'm going to start with my rant for the day. I'll start with a grumpy statement as is my want anyways. So the, the common denominator, let's talk about that. The common denominator in all your failures is you. Yes, yes, that's a harsh statement. Few people ever want to face that reality. That's why so many people gladly embrace the opportunity to blame somebody or something else for their problems when they can. Of course, we have a, an ever-growing state with governments willing to indulge people when they don't want to take responsibility for or accept the consequences for their actions either. All the excuses. Society made me do it. The drugs made me do it. My parents didn't hug me enough. It's not my fault I got burned. Nobody told me the coffee would be hot. Systemic racism held me back. Or my ex-wife is the root of all my problems. Greedy corporations prevent me from getting ahead. The excuses used to dodge and avoid personal responsibility are myriad. It's certainly more comforting to direct your ire outwards when things may be going poorly for you than to consider that you may have caused all or part of your current problems especially when you have a world that's increasingly saying nothing's your fault. Now, there's many areas where we need people to start taking personal responsibility, but I want to focus on crime. What got me going this time was a tweet from the Western Standards, Arthur Green. It showed an electric vehicle charging station and the charging cables have been cut off by thieves. Now, crooks have realized that the copper in those heavy-duty cables is valuable and thefts are becoming a problem throughout North America. So I searched out and read a few articles. This is a growing problem everywhere. Now, those articles offered all sorts of advice in dealing with the issue, ranging from keeping cars in garages to bringing in detachable cables or to have retractable cables that be hidden when not in use. But you know what I didn't hear? One piece of advice, one thing saying on how we're going to deal with this. None of them said we should crack down on the bloody thieves. None. Just as it isn't advisable for a woman to walk around alone during late hours in a bad part of town while wearing revealing clothing, it doesn't absolve the perpetrator if she's assaulted. Yes, some personal responsibility falls on property owners to work to ensure their items can't easily be stolen. But we shouldn't have to keep locking everything we have down for fear of the thieves. 
if the responsibility to protect properly fully falls upon the owner, then let's expand the right to protect our property with force. Yeah, I know. The liberals won't like hearing about that. So let's get to those criminals. It reminded me of a town hall meeting the RCMP held in my area when we were suffering under a particularly bad rural crime wave. We were told to consider installing gates on our driveways and upgrading our alarm systems, maybe even get a dog. Well, I got lots of dogs. I didn't move to the country to live in a fortress for fear of thieves. They also told us not to defend our property lest we be charged for assaulting a thief. Huh? Violent crime and property crimes are rising across the country, the majority of which are committed by chronic offenders who have been in and out and released back into society. It's time, it's past time, to put the onus of responsibility on the offenders. I don't care about their background. I don't care what led them to the life of crime. It's unfortunate, but that's not my problem. Their crimes are my problem. And if they've been committing dozens of crimes, it's time to consider warehousing them rather than wasting time and money reforming them. It wouldn't be that costly to give truly long sentences to chronic offenders. We're spending all that money and more having them in and out of the courts and keeping them in remand centers while they steal from and assault innocent victims. There's no simple or quick solutions to the growing disorder and crime issues. The trend is tied to a tougher economy, the breakdown of family units, and an opioid addiction epidemic. There's lots we can talk about. But... We need to change attitudes and what's considered socially acceptable. That's no easy task, but it has to be done. The excuses have to be dismissed and personal reality and responsibility, I should say, must be applauded. Until that happens, though, crime is only going to continue to get worse. So there, that's kind of what's got me going today. I know some folks saying, yes, shoot, shovel and shut up and, and other uh, comments such as that. And well, that's kind of what it'll come to if we can't rely on the authorities to protect us from the criminals any longer. Uh, people will take it into their own hands and they won't necessarily be the, the best arbiters of justice, but that's what happens when society breaks down. So maybe we should just take responsibility instead. Okay, let's get on and talk to our news editor in the newsroom, Dave Naylor. It's been a busy day already. How's it uh, going there, Dave? Oh, it has been a busy day, Corey. And uh, can I just say ditto regarding your rent? No, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, big breaking news this morning out of Ottawa where uh, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, has announced he and his wife, Sophie, are uh, separated. Uh, they've been married for uh, 18 years and uh, have decided to take a break. Uh, not re not uh, revealing the reasons why, but they are asking for privacy uh, uh, for their children sh children's sake. And uh, they're actually off on holiday, uh, uh, I think, next week, and they're going to go together. So, ironically, the last uh, prime minister who got uh, who separated from his wife, uh, when he was in office was uh, Justin's father, Pierre, who uh, split up from uh, Margaret uh, while he was uh, the PM in uh, 1977. So it uh, doesn't happen very often, Corey. Uh, we've also got uh, UCP reaction to that blockbuster court announcement yesterday that threw out all of uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw's health orders. Uh, Justice Minister uh, Mickey Amory told the Western Standard that uh, they're gonna take the 30 days uh, that they're allowed legally, uh, whether or not to uh, decide uh, uh, to have an appeal. Uh, got a, uh, another transgender scandal brewing, so to speak, if you'll pardon the pun, this time at a coffee outlet uh, across England, Costa Coffee. It's uh, huge in England, uh, Corey, on, uh, in every block. They put out a latest cup with a uh, transgendered man with scars uh, on his chest after having his breasts removed. So I guess they didn't learn from the Dylan Mulvaney uh, fiasco, and they're uh, they're jumping right in, and they're already the subject of a, a boycott in uh, England. 
The Stanley Cup is making an appearance in small town Saskatchewan today. Uh, the uh, uh, town of Davidson, uh, not named after me, is uh, is going to host the uh, the cup with uh, Golden Knights player McNabb uh, is bringing it to town. Every player gets a day with the uh, Stanley Cup, as you know, Corey, and uh, uh, he's decided to spend it in small town Saskatchewan, his hometown. So a big day for them. And Arlinda Slobodian continues to focus on human trafficking. She's got a column on a recent FBI bust uh, that freed more than 200 people uh, who were uh, trapped by uh, human traffickers. So all that and more, Corey's already up this morning. And uh, just coming up right now, we're educating our young uh, reporter, Jonathan Bradley, on the Burgess Shale. Uh, he had never heard of it. And uh, he's writing now about uh, the latest uh, interesting fossil find uh, that they've got out there. As a Banff boy, I was in a rock hound. I've always been tempted to sneak out there and see what I could find in the Burgess Shale myself for fossils. But it's a UNESCO site. Uh, people might not realize that. You well, can you, serious you'd, be in, uh, you'd be in serious trouble and some serious fines uh, if you tried to do that. Yeah, well, it'll be an interesting story and looking forward to it. And maybe next year at this time, we'll report on the Stanley Cup touring Canada with a Canadian player carrying it around. Wouldn't that I be mean, nice? Canadian team, I should say. That's the. Uh, Let's, uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one yet, Corey. See what uh, training camp brings. Some kind of nice note. All right. Thanks, Dave. Uh, we'll check in with you later. Thanks. So that is our news editor, Dave Naylor. And yes, lots on the go. It's where I nag and remind guys, you know, this is it. We're not putting the screws to Facebook and uh, Google like C18 would like us to. We're not taking government subsidies. The reason we're in business is because you guys subscribe. And that's how you can bypass any efforts from social media to block your access to us or anything. If you're a subscriber, you get straight to us. You get straight to those news stories. That's how we pay those bills. $9.99 a month, guys. $100 a year is a great deal, cheaper than an old newspaper membership, and it keeps us rolling. Go to westernstandard.news slash membership. And if you have already, hey, thank you, guys. We really do appreciate that support. And spread the word. Share these links. Get it out there because it's going to be harder to find these uh, outlets for a while. I, I got a feeling this will come to an end. I, you know, this standoff, the social media giants don't care. It's not hurting them to not carry Canadian news. They don't care but it's really hurting the outlets. So I think Trudeau is, you know, and the government is gonna have to relent eventually. Speaking of that, so Dave brought it up and I, I do wanna talk about, it. you know, for people who follow me on Twitter, they know I, I like to indulge in poor taste. I like to make jokes. I like to get personal. I like to get nasty on folks in there. Now Trudeau and, and his wife Sophie's uh, separation probably lead to a divorce, who knows? We've kind of, a lot of people have seen the signs perhaps, or we thought we did over the years. And you watch that when they're public figures, it's a bit gossipy, it's human nature, we're curious. But we can't forget, and that's where I'm going to lay off a bit on this one. I mean, I'll talk about it and I'll watch this news and I'll see things. And I'm certainly not showing some love or sympathy for uh, Justin Trudeau, but his kids, they've got kids. I've been uh, a, a child, you know, went through a divorce, parents went through a divorce. It's an unpleasant thing. I can't imagine how it is for a kid when it's in the news, when it's public like that, when that's all going on. And the only innocence in those relationships, Justin and Sophie, they did their thing. They made their bed. Kids had nothing to do with it. And uh, if only for that, you know, again, we can stay on Trudeau's case. Let's get on his case as much as we can. But uh, lay off the kids when it comes to this personal thing. It's a personal thing with them right now. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it develops. So, uh, yeah, a big one on the news uh, that's been for, been for us lately. Uh, again, that, that justice ruling, uh, 
from, from the Rebecca Ingram uh, challenge to the pandemic lockdowns. It was uh, launched, I believe, in January 2020 or something around there. And uh, it took, of course, this long. Oh, let's see. They filed it in December 2020. Okay, much later, but still. It took this long, but they basically said, yeah, you know what? Those those pandemic uh, restrictions weren't constitutional or they, they didn't fall under the charter. And uh, basically, now, this is a little difficult because the restrictions and the damage have already been done. So what are you going to do about it? But that's what some people are also um, um, talking about. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of class action suits. We're going to see things like that because now the door is open. They're realizing the government was wrong. So I got distracted because I looked from, at a comment, or Wild Rose, and that's a regular here, saying, hey, Corey, he came after our children. Why are his off limits? Well, Wild Rose, because two wrongs don't make a right. That's why. So again, take out your ire on Trudeau, not his kids. That's ridiculous. That's like saying somebody who is a, a child murderer, and it turns out he has kids as well, we should go out and murder his kids as well. No. So that's not a reasonable response to a wrong that was done. You can be as upset with the Trudeaus as you like. And by all means, I am all the time. Leave the kids out. If they want to grow up and get into politics and public life after that, hey, they're open game. Till then... It's just not where to be. Either way, getting back to that, yeah. So we're going to see a lot of things. And I, some of the, the calls from that uh, uh, court ruling and so on, people like Ty Northcott and Pastor Coates, uh, you know, people are saying it's time to drop the charges against them. I mean, those charges aren't valid now that the COVID orders that were found not to be valid in themselves as well. And um, yeah, that door is, we've just seen the beginning, I think. The floodgates are about to open, not just class action suits, but other challenges. Uh, this puts Premier Smith in such a tough spot. Is the provincial government going to appeal this? Well, if they appeal that, she's, she's made a, a lot of her uh, political base has been based on uh, opposing those, those lockdowns and restrictions. But at the same time, uh, the, the government could be on the hook for, and that does mean us in the long run, unfortunately, a whole lot of money if lawsuits and, and other such things start uh, coming down the line. Okay, I'm going to frame up for the next guest coming on. Like I said, Jim Gray is going to come. We're going to talk about the Green Line. So for I know we got a lot of viewers and listeners outside of Calgary. It's called the Green Line. It's a light rail transit expansion in Calgary. And it's huge. It's huge in scope. They've been talking about it for decades, I think. It's supposed to go way up to North Calgary and then way, way down south. And then they've cut the scope of it. They've been ripping up the streets downtown. They've been making a mess. Still no track laid yet. And the price tag for this thing seems to be just getting higher and higher. Well, finally, a, a group of people in Calgary has gotten together, some business people, philanthropists, uh, people involved in the community, and uh, have said, and they formed the Ad Hoc Committee, Ad Hoc Citizens Committee to Rethink the Green Line. It's a big mouthful. It's greenlineinfo.ca. But, you know, the reason I said uh, I'm explaining this for the folks who aren't in Calgary is because these sorts of projects are happening in cities across Canada. And maybe it's time to really tap the brakes on some of these because the, the costs are getting too high. So I have Jim Gray in studio with me today. Thank you very much for coming downtown to, to talk to us about this today, Jim. Oh, thank you for having me. I live downtown, okay. so I didn't have that far to go. Well, a short commute, but still it's a nice day. You know, there could be other things to be That's doing. Right. So uh, I, I appreciate that. So uh, I, I guess living downtown, you've seen already the construction, the work they've been doing down here on this. And uh, I, that would be part of what inspired you to get involved with this group and get this group going then? or Well, first of all, it's, it's a good group. It's about eight or 10 people. And uh, no, I got started 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, 
<clears throat> I found out uh, during the flood of 2013 that we were planning two tunnels under the Bow River, one going north, one going south, each of them worth a billion dollars. And um, I'm, a ge I'm an old, worn-out geologist, but we live on a floodplain in Calgary, and tunnels are very, very dangerous and very from water. And we, we know what's happened in the past. So I got really interested because of the tunnels under the Bow River. And I just thought that was a, an enormous risk and uh, was very dangerous. And that's what kind of got, got us started back in about 2012. Okay. And I mean, you, you've been involved, uh, as I said earlier, in the energy industry. I mean, you, you've been involved in a lot of large capital projects before. And, and uh, I guess, you know, in watching how the expenses and things have been moving along with this, uh, that, that must be raising some alarm bells with you as well then. Well, it, it was. And um, <clears throat> the world experts are at Oxford University. They've got 15,000 mega projects <laughs> in their database. And uh, and I've been in touch with them, and our group has been in touch with them, and and they they just say the way Calgary is is moving on this green line is kind of a poster child for the, how these things go in the ditch. And there's three elements. Number one, they they start by underestimating the cost. Well, if you remember, 4.65 was going to build the whole line from 160th North all the way to Seton, yeah. And now it's down to about 25 percent of that for the for more money. And then number two, they overestimate the benefits. And, and we've done that with ridership and uh, various other things. And then number three, they spend money as fast as possible to get past the point of no return. And every one of these, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Edmonton, and then a whole group of them in the U.S. have, have followed that same path. And, and now, from coast to coast, with the exception of Calgary, most of them, almost over 90% of them are saying, let's just pause. Let's get this right. It's too big to get wrong. And, and we need to do that in Calgary. We're not opposed to the Green Line. In fact, we're trying to save the Green Line if it's possible to save it. Mm -hmm. But we can't use pre-COVID estimates of the cost. And because inflation and COVID and everything that we touch has been impacted by inflation and by, by other cost increases. And so we just, we're just lobbying, we're just bringing pressure on the provincial government. They're the ones that we have to focus on. The provincial government to just pause and let's get this right. Yeah, so I mean, that, that one element you were talking about, and we've seen that, I mean, they're spending, I believe, 100000 a day right now, and they haven't even laid track on this. I mean, it's been over a billion dollars spent on this. And well... Uh, Corey, they're, they're right at just just about a billion. Okay, and they're spending multiples of a hundred thousand yeah. dollars a day. They're spending two or three hundred thousand dollars a day. Yeah, and we, as you say, we haven't laid that much track yet. <laughs> and they say they won't have the final prices till next spring. Meanwhile, we're spending two three hundred thousand dollars a day and ripping up downtown. And so, and by that time, we will have spent a billion and a half dollars, mm -hmm. which is more than the new cancer center, which is way more than the new event center. And, and we still won't know what, what, what this thing's going to cost. So let's just pause and get it right. Because I think we have to understand that we're, this green line 
44, 46 kilometers from the north of the south. Doesn't go to the health campus, uh, the, health, the, the big new hospital. Doesn't yeah. go to that big new economic area. Doesn't go to the airport. Doesn't go to the airport. Doesn't go to the eight communities between Shepherd and Seton. Stage one goes from Eau Claire to Shepherd. And when people always ask me, well, Jim, where, where's Shepherd? I say, well, that's the old landfill site. Oh, yeah, I remember taking stuff out to Shepherd. But there are no new riders between new riders. We're not talking about, when you talk about riders, you got to talk about new riders, people that aren't now taking the bus. And there are very few new riders between Eau Claire and Shepherd that aren't now serviced with a bus, very well serviced with a bus. So... I could go on, but we're, we're spending huge amounts of money. Phase one is now budgeted at around $5 billion, five or five and a half billion dollars. That includes $500 million for financing. Clearly, it's going to go to between eight and 10. And there are many people think it'll go more than that. Phase two, which takes us all the way to Seton, the South Health Campus, et cetera, will be something in the order of 10 to $15 billion. So let's get, let's understand, Corey, this is the biggest thing Calgary's ever done at 20 to $25 billion. And then I guess to put that in perspective, a couple of things, and not everybody's from Calgary too. So yes, what you're talking about is this is going to go through essentially like a large light industrial and, and sort of reclaimed garbage dump zone. So there's not going to be a lot of traffic or need. That, that was one of the, the, the factors you were talking about, you know, for the lack of benefit. If you don't have the ridership there, why are you building the train? But just to put those dollars in perspective, if you're talking $20 billion, $25 billion, assuming there's a million taxpayers in Calgary, that would come up to about $20,000 a person in the city of taxpayers to cover this line. That's before they even get to buy a ticket and ride on it. Exactly. And, and, and the average taxpayer, I believe, uh, pays about $2,500 of residential tax. And so that $20,000 number is an enormous number. And the one area, the, there's three agencies paying for this. The citizens of Calgary, the citizens of Alberta, and Canadians. A third, a third, a third. A third Calgary, a third Edmonton, and a third Ottawa. But the one, air, one agent with deep pockets is, is Edmonton. And, the problem, and they, they're going to have a real problem bailing out Calgary because Edmonton's LRT's in trouble. And, and they've just caused a pause to their capital line, which, and the costs of their capital line have ballooned. Now, you might be amused to know that I phoned the, the journalist uh, that wrote the story. I said, what does ballooned mean? Uh. Colby. I mean, I don't see any definition in a financial textbook about ballooned. And the best we can come up with is 50 to 100%. So their counsel, to their credit, said, stop. Let's look at this and let's bring the cost down to the funds that are available. And we've got to do that in Calgary. That has to be done in Calgary. Most definitely. And I, I don't like, and this has been happening for a few years, some of the number juggling they've done with this. I used to lock horns with former Mayor Ninchy on this. And they said, no, it's not over budget. Well, you've cut it down to a quarter of the scope and the budget is the same. That's a blown budget. You're just juggling now. Yeah. Please quit trying to, to. And when you see that trend and we haven't reevaluated in years now, it, it can't be anywhere close to budget. 
And, and what, who would use pre-COVID numbers for anything? That t- take the cars. The cars are made in Spain. Our present cars are made in Germany, Siemens. These cars are ground-loading cars, and they're made in Spain. They're not compatible with our present fleet. So we need new parts, new, new shops, new mechanics. We've got a whole new product, protocol of, of vehicles to put in place. And they were going to have roughly 80 cars when it started for three or 400 million bucks. Now we're down to about 30 cars. And they say, well, we're still on budget. Yeah, same sort of. But we're only getting 30 cars, not 80 cars. Look, at, I don't make any of this personal. I, I will not attack anybody and in a, in a personal way, because we, we got to learn in this to be di- able to disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And, and it's time that this, that we just paused and, and tried to save this green line, if it's possible to save it. And I don't know whether it is possible to save it, but nevertheless, we've got to, and our sensible, affordable alternative is to start on 7th Avenue by City Hall and go all the way to Seton on the surface, no tunnels on the surface or elevated. And and that's the way we've built every LRT. We've started on 7th Avenue and gone out to where the population is. So let's do that and build to the, let's look at building to the airport like Vancouver has. They've got a, a line that stops downtown in many places and then goes to the airport. Well, what about Saddletown? Let's just look at that. I'm not saying it's the thing to do until we get a good analysis of the cost and the benefits. But I like the idea personally. And and in North Calgary, we've got a wonderful buff system in North Calgary that picks up people all over the area and then comes down on three lines over Center Street and deposits them right downtown and then picks them up and takes them back home. And maybe we can strengthen that. But, but let's just start on 7th Avenue, go all the way to Seton, on the surface and elevated. No tunnels. Building tunnels in Calgary is a mugs game. It's at high risk and dangerous because of water. Yeah. And so another aspect that's changed since COVID is people aren't riding transit downtown as much as they used to. And there's a couple of factors going on. Uh, some people have moved on to working from home. They don't come downtown like they used to. We And this could be solvable, so it doesn't necessarily mean scrapping the line, but crime has been a serious, serious problem on transit, and it's pushing people from wanting to utilize the transit. Uh, and you know, and, and people have been shifting more to the outer areas of the city rather than the inner. And it's, again, not necessarily saying that the, the project isn't viable, but maybe we should be focusing on getting people to use transit more again first before buying, you know, building more infrastructure for what's right now a declining demand. Well, there's a fundamental issue that you just touched on, Corey. The danger of, ta- of, of stations underground mm-hmm. in tunnels is measurably higher than the danger of surface or elevated stations that are open up, that have windows that are open. And so we have to be very careful in that the hesitancy in using these uh, facilities, we, we run a high risk of that escalating with stations buried under the underground in tunnels. We've got to forget this business of tunnels. I'm an older person. I remember when the CPR was going to build a tunnel for their main line under Calgary. So in, in Rod Sykes day, mm. so that they could monetize all their land. And they said, they did the studies and they said, no way. 
We're not building tunnels under Calgary. Well, if I recall, there is a, a built, sitting, gathering dust little LRT station they put under the new city hall in anticipation. It's still sitting there thinking they were going to put an LRT line under there at some time or another. You see, when you build a tunnel, you only need 5 or 10 or 15 feet of, of uh, water-saturated uh, sandstones or, or conglomerates or whatever full of water to, to ruin the whole system. So just because you've got 100 feet or 100 yards of tunnel doesn't mean anything. Oh, no. I'm just saying it means that they've been piddling around with this for a long time. Oh, yeah. And we were <laughs> going to actually build a tunnel along 9th Avenue at one time. But I don't know if you remember 2nd Street uh, when they were building Bankers Hall. Mm. And there was, a, there, there was such a water influx that the big overhead crane crashed, that part of 9th Avenue fell into the hole. And there were lawsuits that were still active just several years ago. So we got to stop that. We've got to stop tunnels under downtown Calgary. That is not, that, that should not be on. And furthermore, our, the tunnel uh, workers are not Calgarians. We're not, ton, we're not known for our tunnel expertise in Calgary. We're known to be able to build roads. And the, the, the 69th Street, we can build elevated LRTs. We're good at that. Yeah. And our, we've got to put local contractors to work on and uh, not international tunnel uh, experts. So I, I appreciate that you guys have gotten together and you're raising a hand. Again, to be uh, pro, you know pragmatic, you're not saying shut it down, but let's just hold our horses and, and get a better look. Uh, it's going to be hard because, as you say, they're going to say, oh, look at the sunk costs and things such as that. Politicians are going to dig in their heels. So I'm kind of getting on to the what could people do. You guys are preparing for a, a petition and, well, and some efforts. No, not a petition, but... But we've got a thousand people have now, and it's gone up dramatically in the last week or two, have now taken the time to send us an email to say there are supporters. Now we're going on to social media, and our target is to get 5,000 yeah. Calgarians. Look at, I'm a citizen. We're a taxpayer. I have no skin in the game on this thing. I just believe we have a responsibility as taxpayers to be involved. In, in issues as big as the biggest thing that Calgary has ever done. And let me repeat, our email, our, our website is greenlineinfo.ca. And you can log into that and you can become a participant. And we're not asking for money. We're not asking for anything. We just want to know that you support just pausing and getting this right. Because it's never too late to do the right thing. No, absolutely. And that, that's the battle it'll have to be is, look, even if it's well along, if the right thing is to pause it, pause it. Well, and, I'd rather lose a billion than lose five. Well, or 10 or 20. Or well, 10 or 20. Yeah, so okay, before I let you go, then, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, but I urge people, you, you made the comment, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. I urge people to get engaged, understand this project, and sign up as a participant. We're not trying, we're trying to save the green line. But let's save it in a practical, objective, clearly thought out way, because these things are going in the ditch from coast to coast, and let's not be one of them. Well, thank you very much for uh, raising your hand and getting on to it and taking a break from, I'm sure, retirement to, to take this yeah, on. And uh, let's hope that the voice of reason prevails in the end. Thank, thanks again for coming to talk to us today, Jim. Thanks Jeff. very much. Paul. All right.
So again, one more time, guys, greenlineinfo.ca. And there's a lot of resources and information there for you on it. And as he said, this is happening across the country. Edmonton has just been a catastrophe. Uh, Colby Kosh wrote a great piece on that, actually, up in Edmonton with what's been going on with their line. And uh, they had, they're years behind schedule. They're running test trains up and down on it. They've spent a fortune on it, and it still hasn't taken a passenger yet. So uh, as I said, you don't have to live in Calgary. You don't have to uh, even live in a city to realize that this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you. The federal taxes are going to get you. The provincial taxes are going to get you. You're going to pay for this. So as I said, we're, we're talking about um, a lot of uh, transit sort of uh, issues going on, you know, today and things like that. I mean, so one of the interesting ones was Christia Freeland. You know, we've been hearing that one. That's been a popular story on ours uh, federally. And she has been talking about, you know, that they're trying to look like the common people. They're saying, we're just like you. We're, we're tightening our belts. Freeland did the thing with uh, saying, you know, we got rid of the Disney Channel. We're saving money. You got to re- This is a cabinet minister who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I don't begrudge her that. But don't pretend that you're tightening your belt like the rest of us. And then she went on a rant to say she doesn't, she doesn't have a car and, and she rides a bike where she has to, and she takes transit or taxis where she has to go and got quite upset when she got called on it. Well, turns out that yes, her chauffeur and she has a chauffeur uh, claimed expenses for meals and other costs uh, over 28 days, just in Toronto where she lives. I mean, there's been other areas where she's traveled. She's used, uh, you know, chauffeured vehicles as well. Look, She's a federal cabinet minister. She's a deputy prime minister. She's a finance minister. She, I, I, I don't feel that people in that position should necessarily not have that sort of transportation at their disposal. But don't sit and pretend that you don't use it. Of course you do. And the evidence is there and we've seen it. Or, or her chauffeur has been ripping off taxpayers by filing false expense reports. So which one's it going to be? Freeland, you were using it. But uh, getting on more recently. So, I mean, with this whole affair starting to hit the news and be a problem and everything else, coincidentally, suddenly a photo starts going around from a Toronto outlet. It first hit Twitter, I believe. And it says, look who was spotted riding the TTC, which is the Toronto uh, subway line, the train line. Well, there's Justin Trudeau. You can see the picture right there. And for the people listening on the podcast, he's standing there looking stoic, sort of staring off into the distance and holding up there in a, in a train. He's got his sleeves rolled up. You know, he's getting serious. He's on to something here. If you look really closely, you see the bulletproof vests and all the people around him, of course, because he's got security and such, which he should. He's the prime minister. But what, you're trying to pretend to be able to relate with us. You're trying to pretend that you're one of us. You aren't. You aren't. Quit the facade. Quit insulting our intelligence with this. You don't ride transit, Justin Trudeau. You're a trust fund baby. And hey, that's no fault of your own. You were born into that. But you were born into a a rich, well-known family. You were chauffeured all your life. You've probably never cooked craft dinner for yourself. That's fine. Embrace that. But don't sit and pretend and stand there as if you're a transit rider like everybody else. And we're seeing that song and dance. We're seeing that that game. We saw that in Calgary, too, with the... uh, Mayor Jody Gondek was riding the train, and sure enough, she had a pile of cops with her for the whole ride. And the point of her ride was to see the train's perfectly safe. No, no, your worship. <laughs> the train's perfectly safe when you can have a, 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 an escort of a bunch of armed police officers with you for the common rider 
it doesn't work that way. In Edmonton, just the other day, it works great. They, they came up with their Marvin the Meatball thing to show, come on downtown, it's nice and safe. It was bizarre, almost surreal. A, a Chilean older woman was riding the Edmonton Transit, and she got assaulted. Edmonton's getting known as Stabmonton, and uh, but that's happening everywhere, the crime on these transit systems. And in wintertime, it gets even worse. And in, in Edmonton, they talked about that. It was tweeted out saying, basically saying we're going to allow the, the transit lines to be a de facto shelter for the homeless people when it gets cold. That's not reasonable. But it just really, yeah, it does get under my skin when you see poses like that from that clown Trudeau pretending that, you know, oh, I understand. I, I, I feel your pain, oh, common Canadians. I, I ride the train like you do. No, you do not. No, you do not. This is a government that's on the ropes, though. I mean, that poll, we talked about that in the pipeline last week. It was something else. That was out of Abacus. I mean, that was 2,500 people sampled. It wasn't a minor one. And it found a, a lot of issues that are probably very disturbing for this government. They're doing internal polling all the time as well. Every government and party does that. They do polls and polls and polls. And they're probably finding that, no, no doubt about it, they are finding, of course, that, yeah, they're 10 points behind the Conservatives now. And the scary thing is, who are they losing? Women and young people. Women and young people, those were the traditionally his areas of support. And the Conservatives are leading in both those categories now. But, I mean, there's a lot of factors that come into it. But affordability, that's the huge one. And who's getting hit? A lot of women who are often perhaps, uh, you know, raising children and so on might not be in an intact uh, marriage or young people again. And these are people also that ride transit. These are people that have a hard time paying their bills with the carbon taxes, the inflation, the constant pounding they're getting from this government uh, raising the cost of living while they're pretending they aren't. Well, they keep saying we're addressing it. No, you aren't. People are having a really hard time. So I'm sure their focus groups found, look, people are afraid of riding on transit. Well, let's show them how, oh, we understand. We ride transit too. How many people look at that and say, oh, yes, look at Justin genuinely riding transit just like everybody else. Oh, what a load of crap. And Christia Freeland, a picture of her with her bicycle there. There was one of those going around. And uh, we saw that with Climate Barbie, who used to be in cabinet, another one of theirs, who was riding her bike in a big pose on Ottawa Hill, and she was wearing high heels. Now, I don't ride bicycles a lot, and I never wear high heels. I mean, it's just, you know, not a, a fear of trans thing. It's just I don't have the right ankles for that sort of get up. But I'm pretty sure the two don't go together well on bicycles if you're really actually going to ride one. Uh, Curly May Q saying uh, seniors too. Yeah, when the pressure is coming on. Yeah, particularly. Seniors have fixed incomes. They are very sensitive to rises in costs for food, for rent, for uh, and, and, and transit. And seniors are often riding transit. And again, when it's a little easier to feel comfortable, I guess, when you're riding on an LRT loaded with addicts and people, uh, you know, freaking out and tweaking when you're uh, – in your 20s and strong and fit and confident. But once you're getting into the senior years, you're a little more uncomfortable riding amongst that mass, likewise with women. Instead of pretending they can relate with us, because that's what the government's doing right now. That's why they put on the show. That's why they you know, do their photo ops. How about actually fixing the problems, huh? How about getting your bail reforms done, Prime Minister Trudeau? You've talked and talked and talked about that. We've had police officers shot by people released on bail. We've had people released on bail, violent individuals all over the place. The stories are constant and chronic, and they're violent. Fix it. Don't give me a photo op. Give me legislation. When you morons push through C-18, 
Damn the torpedoes, we're going to screw up-and-coming alternative media companies. That got through without much difficulty. When the government wants to get something through, they will get it through. The only reason I can see them dragging their butts on bail reform is they don't want to do it. Well, too bad. You need to. I'm offering tips here, Justin. These are tips because your, your little photo opportunities are not going to turn that demographic crowd around and make them vote for you. That's that arrogance, that vanity, that foolishness. That's what's costing you support. So I guess as a conservative, I say, carry on, Justin, do another one. Show yourself walking to work one day or riding your bike downtown. I mean, we'll believe it. Sure, we will. You know, they've tried this before with Trudeau in his early times to paint him as something he isn't. I remember that when he first became prime minister, let's give one thing to his credit. His speaking has gotten better. I mean, I still find his voice to be like nails on chalkboard. But you remember eight, nine years ago, even when he's leader of the opposition, the ums and ahs and stammering and stuttering drive you bananas. He's gotten better. To his credit, he's gotten better. A lot of practice, perhaps even some voice coaching. Who knows? But part of what came out at first, too, was, and, and there's some truth to any uh, you know part of that impression, he's not what we would call a cerebral prime minister. He's not a deep thinker. He's not a philosopher. He's not a policy wonk. Come on, he's a guy with pretty hair who gets around, leads the party, has a good family name, and has managed to lead to success in central Canadian voters. But what they try to do is show him as something else. And this, this photo op they did, this, this whole presser, it was just bizarre. And I can't believe people didn't see through that. I don't know if you guys remember it. He had a whiteboard behind him. I think he was at a school or a college or something. Had all these formulas written out on it and everything else. It looked like, you know, a professor has been building a rocket or something like that. And there was, of course, a staged question about quantum computing. And Justin Trudeau launched into a lecturing answer with his deep knowledge on quantum computing. It was just so grossly staged. I'm surprised they didn't give him a little pair of glasses, a little tape in the middle. to try. They're trying to change the impression of him from being the vacuous ski coach, uh, you know, part-time drama teacher into some sort of intellectual. Don't. Don't do that. You're just insulting us. Show him as what he is. Or maybe what he is is just too ugly to actually win an election. But you, you, you know, the, 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 oh, look at that. Nico's amazing. He found that picture. Look at that. Look at that. And yeah, you know, again, for the people listening on the podcast, yeah, here's all these, these numbers and formulas and everything in the background. I, I would love to have a mathematician or somebody look at that and say, does that actually mean anything? Or do they just kind of clip something out and stick it back there behind him anyways? Sorry, it didn't make him any smarter, guys. It, it looks to me like you're covering something up. And what you're covering up was uh, the, the, the lack of intellect on the part of the prime minister. And uh, yeah, as they get more desperate, things are going to get uglier. They're going to get worse. And one of the things the government will do, and again, it seems to work for them politically, so I see why they do it, but is, is of course, screw the West. I mean, that was the statements from uh, uh, one of uh, Pierre Trudeau's uh, uh, main enforcers of the past. Screw the West, we'll take the rest. And it worked. The, the liberals would win over and over. One of the recent ones, uh, Jason Nixon in Alberta has been bringing up loudly as he should, is, uh, you know, there's been housing funds. I think, I think the government came up with a one and a half billion or something with a housing affordability program. Uh, and then they transfer it out to the provinces. This is how they control everything. You know, people hear about equalization all the time. We get upset about equalization. That's because equalization is directed exclusively, specifically for the point of you know, giving more to one province versus another to try and supposedly balance out unequal economies. But people forget that, no, we get screwed on transfers all over the place. Equalization is just the most visible. So when it came to transferring out the money, 
you know, that came from us in the first place. Alberta makes up 12% of Canada's population now, really growing. We only got 2.5% of the housing transfer back. So basically, they hooped us out of hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, the left goes wild as blaming Danielle Smith for a lack of housing. You know, the blame game goes all over the place. Well, if it's just money, it's much more than money. But if the money helps, well, we lost hundreds of millions of dollars because the Trudeau liberals transferred it to the rest of the country and shortchanged Alberta by a huge amount. They're going to up that game because they don't care. They know there's no seats to win out here. You know, there's very little seats to win in Saskatchewan or interior BC. So you watch. They're desperate. They're hurting. Toronto, Montreal, some of the Maritimes and lower mainland BC, they're going to get a lot of love in the next little while. But the rest of the West, internal Canada is going to get it. We're going to get it bad. It's typical strategy on the part of the Liberals. And uh, that one is just odious. Just such a huge amount of the discrepancy. And Alberta is the fastest growing province in the country. They're coming in here. People are coming in here. They're setting up homes here. We need the housing. And you're putting it into areas where people don't have a population growth. It's... Uh, just again, but it was a political decision, not one based on realistic need. All right, that's it for this week, guys. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, it's going to be another good one next week. I got Michael Binion coming on from the Modern Miracle Network. We're going to talk about the mythical oil field subsidies that we keep hearing about. It's going to be a good discussion. Lots of news items, issues, things like that. Again, share the sites, guys. Share the social media stuff. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. It's so important to us. I appreciate you coming on and listening to me today. Follow me on Twitter at Corey B. Morgan. You can get lots of rants and raves out of me directly on there. And uh, yes, we will see you all back here again next week at this time. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley is steady at $4.14. Feed wheat is down $2 at $4.10, while corn dropped $3 to $3.96. In the milling wheat markets, September Minneapolis futures are off five and a half cents at eight forty nine per bushel, with local hardwood spring bid for August movement at ten forty five per bushel delivered. Over to the canola market, nearby canola futures are lower one dollar and seventy cents at seven hundred and seventy seven forty per ton, with delivered values for August movement at seventeen twenty eight per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentils are trading at thirty two cents a pound, and yellow peas are at eleven dollars per bushel. Looking at the cattle markets, August live cattle decreased $1.30 at $178.20 per hundredweight. For more information on pricing and picked up on-farm options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Vera Buziak at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.